Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. There's this thing called the everyman or the everywoman. It's a stock character uh, that, that authors use. It's, it's the, the normal character, the, the average person that's written into the, the story. Uh, they're, they're humble. They're, uh, they're, they're just like you and I. We, we identify with them. I think of Jim and Pam from the show The Office. All right. For the most part, they are written as the normies. You know, they're, they're the normal ones in that show. Uh, and it, it makes the other characters all the more eccentric. eccentric. Uh, so um, the every man, the every woman, often in our, our stories, in our, our books, TV shows, we relate with the everyman character. When we see these characters, when, when they have adventures, when they fall in love, when, when they have obstacles and, and challenges, adversity, we root for them. Because we know they're just like us. Well, today we're taking a look at a story in in Exodus chapter 1 and and 2. It's a story about a handful of of ladies that perhaps we can identify with. I think they were just average ladies. We have have some midwives and a mom and a sister and a daughter. They were just doing their things. But really, they helped deliver the hope of God. Exodus chapter 1 and 2. And so as we dive into the story today, as we take a look at these, this story that, that features a couple different ladies, it's, an, it's important to know that out of all the families on earth, God selected one family. Doesn't mean that this family is better than the other families. It's that this family carries a responsibility. And this family, the the namesake, comes from a man named Israel, the people of Israel. So God chose the family of Israel. And at the end of the book of Genesis, we find the family of Israel in Egypt. They're sort of like refugees, immigrants down to to Egypt. There's, a, there's more to that story. You can read uh, the last half of, of Genesis to, to figure that one out, to, to you know, enjoy that story, why Israel is in Egypt. But they are there, and down in Egypt, this family grows. Okay, The, the author of Exodus says they're fruitful. They increased rapidly. They multiplied. They became extremely numerous. And so they, they kind of go out of their way to show that this family is growing this this family is is uh, fruitful they're multiplying and they're down in Egypt for many many years many years go by and what's interesting is that this family does not become Egyptian there, there's not major assimilation that that happens they they kind of stay their own people group another name for them they're called the Hebrews. And so years and years go by, and eventually the king of Egypt, also called Pharaoh, he's annoyed at this very large people group that's in his country. Long story short, he ends up bringing oppression to them. He, he throws them into forced labor. Hard work is, is put upon them. Ruthless work, bitter work, difficult labor, all kinds of field work, your Bible says. 
oppression. The Israelites, the, the Hebrews, they're, they're put to work and they're actually city builders. The Bible gives us two cities that they built. So this people group, they're, they're building cities. They, they are forced to. But as the story goes, the more oppression that is put upon this family, it seems like they just keep having more kids. Something that is designed to bring them down, they just keep having more and more kids. The family is growing. So then Pharaoh, he goes to these two midwives. All right? Their names are Shifra and Pua. It says in Exodus chapter 1. Now I have to imagine that these are like supervisors of, of midwives. Uh, but there's, there's two midwives, Shifra and Pua. And Pharaoh says, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the, son, if, if the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. And so through the midwives, Pharaoh is introducing this policy of population control. And I hope you see the, the brokenness of humanity, the, the twisted up nature of, of Pharaoh's heart. He's, he has... His twisted, dark heart has led him to make such a move. Hebrew males, when they are born, are automatically illegal. The state declares them to be killed. Born with a death sentence. And this is sad and disturbing. If you're born a male, automatically kill them, take them out. Pharaoh says you're unwanted, no value. Egypt doesn't need you. Egypt doesn't want you. Please dispose of them. It's infant murder by the state. Now here's the thing. The midwives, they feared God, it says. Elohim. They feared God. Now I'm not sure what Hebrew faith actually looked like in Exodus chapter 1. Like this is, a, this is pretty early in the story. We're only in the second book of the Bible. I'm not sure what Hebrew faith looked like. But these midwives... They had a respect for Elohim. They honored Elohim. This is not what Elohim would want. They, they feared God. A reverential awe for Elohim. You know what? They chose life. They chose hope. And so then Pharaoh, he goes back to the, the midwives. And he's like, why you let the boys live? What's going on? And they, they give an answer. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. For they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can even get to them. Now this, this answer, Pharaoh seems uninterested in pursuing this further. This, he was like, okay, that, that makes sense. They just, you know what? They, uh, they go into labor and they have, they have their babies and it's not long and drawn out. For whatever reason, Pharaoh is uninterested in pursuing it further. The midwives have undermined Pharaoh's plan. So in Exodus chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, it says, So God, Elohim, was good to the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very numerous, since, since the midwives feared God. He gave them families. Families. So clearly, Pharaoh's orders clashed with God. All right, there, there was no gray area for these midwives. They're like, we can't kill these baby boys, they, they feared God. And the midwives, they, they did good. 
And God was good to the midwives. God graciously gave the people families. God loves family. Even if you're called to singleness, like you have a family, families are good. God loves family. We love family. Family. But as we just kind of reflect on these midwives here, it reminds me of the Galatians 6, 8 principle, the, the reap what you sow principle. The harvest that you reap reveals the seeds that you have planted. A good and beautiful life does not come about randomly. Proverbs eleven eighteen says, The one who sows righteousness earns a true reward. So as we reflect on this, this story, what righteousness are you sowing today? Are you planting seeds of, of righteousness? Where, where can you plant seeds of hope and goodness in your life this week? And you know, despite Pharaoh's orders, the Israelites, they continued to grow. I don't know how much time passed, uh, that's not that's not given in the, the narrative, but Pharaoh comes up with his next plan. He puts on the pressure. Pharaoh says, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. So kind of the same thing, but this time he, he says it to the whole country. This time it is public. The midwife strategy didn't work. Now this is a nationwide decree. Pharaoh's brokenness and the twisted up nature of human sin is now on display. They are oppressed. The Hebrews are oppressed people. And now there's even this, this more, more oppression. Baby boys are thrown into the Nile. It's how like Exodus chapter 1 ends. We turn to Exodus chapter 2. The story zooms in. To a family. Now a man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. We actually find out in Exodus chapter 6 that this is Amram and Jochebed. Amram is the dad and Jochebed is the mom. All right. And they already have a daughter named Miriam. But again, we find that later on in the story. They're from the tribe of Levi, which eventually is the tribe associated with temple worship, uh, and and uh, temple activities, and, and all of that. Uh, but Jacobed, Jacobed, the mom, she's pregnant. She gets pregnant, and, and she gives birth to a son. Uh-oh, right? She gives birth to a son. But then there's some very powerful words in Scripture here. She saw that he was beautiful. She saw that he was beautiful. Another word that can be translated for beautiful is healthy. She saw wholeness, health, goodness. She saw that he was beautiful. In, the, in these days when infant mortality was high, this, this is a rough, ancient life. Here's a beautiful, healthy baby boy. This, this boy is going to... Grow up just fine. That, that's what it's looking like. In this harsh world, this healthy boy is definitely like has a has a great chance to live and live well. She saw that he was beautiful. 
parents, when you're expecting a child, when, when you're pregnant, you probably pray a lot for a healthy mom, healthy baby, right? I don't think I'm wrong there. This beautiful baby is healthy. What a precious gift. And mom sees goodness. Mom sees beauty. Mom sees health. So Jochebed, what does she do? She hides the baby. Three months. For three months, she hides the baby. That's a long time. That's a long time. Can you imagine what it's like to hide a newborn for 90 days? What does that look like? What does that look like now? What, what does that look like in ancient Egypt? Hiding a newborn for 90 days. Eventually, she couldn't hide him anymore. We don't know why. The, the time was up. She, she had to do something. So this is what she does. She gets a papyrus basket. The, the King James Version says an ark of bulrushes. Okay, and so an ark is a chest or a box. And so it is a chest of papyrus, a, a basket, right? Uh, papyrus is a, an, an aquatic plant. It's, it has highly buoyant stems woven together. So, so there's a basket. And she takes asphalt or vitamin, which is the semi-solid form of petroleum. It hasn't been boiled yet at 500 degrees. She takes this asphalt and pitch, which is like a resin. Essentially what she's doing is she is waterproofing and sealing this basket. She goes down to the Nile River. She gets, she's on the bank, gets into the water by the reeds. She puts the baby in the basket. The basket is then placed in the Nile River. Now, technically, I guess, she's following Pharaoh's orders since he said, throw the babies into the Nile. But we don't really know what the total game plan is. What is she thinking? She's putting a baby in a basket, putting it in a river, one of the major rivers in the world. But think about this. Clearly, this was the better option than staying at home. She made this hard choice to put her baby in a basket in a river. Now, Miriam, the baby's sister, again, we eventually find out her name is Miriam. She stood at a, a distance. She wanted to see what would happen. Big sister is keeping an eye. Big sister's keeping an eye out. Paul's in the story. Next, we go to Pharaoh's daughter. She's taken a bath in the Nile. She has servant girls. They're walking along the riverbank. And, and Pharaoh's daughter is there in the water or near the water, taking a bath there. And then she sees the basket. She gets one of her servant girls to go retrieve the basket. The basket is retrieved. She opens it up. And she sees the boy as well. She felt sorry for him. It says, this is one of the Hebrew boys. She felt sorry for the boy. The, the baby was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew boys. Now, Miriam, again, she was nearby. She's like off, off stage. Well, all of a sudden she like pops into the scene Right? All of a sudden, Miriam is there, and there's no question if that's weird or random or anything like that. There's this little girl who just 
pops up and she's like, should I go and call a Hebrew woman who is nursing to nurse the boy for you? And Pharaoh's daughter is like, hey, that's a great creative idea. Let's do this. Go. And so Miriam goes back home. She gets her mom, Jochebed. Jochebed then meets up with Pharaoh's daughter. And as the story would have it, Jochebed gets paid to nurse and take care of her own baby boy. And when the, the boy would grow up, he, as the arrangement was, was made, he was taken to Pharaoh's daughter and was officially adopted. And the boy was named Moses by Pharaoh's daughter because I drew him out of the water. Moses. Moses is God's deliverer who will lead the people out of Egyptian slavery. We have a God. God is aware of the people's misery. He has heard their cries. He knows all about their suffering. And even when the people can't see it, God has initiated this rescue plan. And this plan includes drawing the people up out of Egypt into a land that is good, a land that is spacious, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And someday when Moses is older, God is going to send Moses and he is going to lead the people out of Egyptian slavery. There will be a mass exodus. And that's where the name of the second book of the Bible comes from. The people will leave Egypt. And this is God's work. There is brokenness in this world. Life is hard. Life is full of challenges. But our faith teaches us about a God who promises that brokenness will not have the final word. Our faith teaches us about, about this hope. Our, our faith gives us a hope that even, the, even in the darkest chapters, the pages will turn. And our faith gives us a love that can be walked out, lived out every day, even in times of uncertainty. Our faith teaches that God is at work. Pharaoh had all these evil plans to destroy lives. Pharaoh will not have the final word. And some of you today might be struggling. You have challenges. The bank account doesn't look well. Maybe you have some health issues going on, relational issues going on, feeling depressed, feeling oppressed by external or internal Factors, But know it to be true that God is the author of hope. And keep hanging on. Choose hope. And you know, it's easier to get through the hard chapters when you know the author. And this story has God's fingerprints all over it. In a world that is against Moses, God uses a handful of of ladies to bring about God's plan. Moses is going to be God's guy, God's deliverer. So let the story of the faithful midwives, Moses' mom, Moses' sister, and ironically, Pharaoh's daughter, let this story encourage you. 
that God used these ladies to undermine Pharaoh's plan. Shipra and Pua, they feared God. Jochebed saw goodness and beauty. Miriam watched over her brother, and she came up with creative solutions. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter had compassion, and she was in the position to adopt. And what I love about this story is that the midwives did midwife things. Mom did mom things, sister did sister things, and so on. Pharaoh's daughter was completely in a position to adopt. God uses us right where we are. God uses who we are. This story, I hope you see, has God's fingerprints all over it. God has his fingerprints all over you. You might not consider yourself to be some grand character, but I bet God thinks differently about you. You are important. You do have value. You have a story. You have a voice. God has put air in your lungs. You have the gift of life. And you know, just as much as the people needed a Moses, the people also needed godly midwives. The people need godly mothers, godly sisters, and so on. These ladies, whether they knew it or not, they were, they were deliverers of hope. So how can you choose hope today? How can you choose life today? Where does God want you to see beauty? What does he want to show you? Perhaps God is calling you into a, a situation um, that, that needs compassion and care. Maybe there's some hard decisions going on. There, there's some dark parts in your life where God is just calling you to, to trust and choose hope. Now, maybe you're not called to put your baby in a basket. I, I really hope <laughs> Hope not. But maybe there's a phone call you need to make. Maybe there's a job you need to apply for. Maybe there's a neighbor you need to help. Maybe just it's time to reorganize some priorities. You see, God works in amazing ways. And he works in and through and around our lives. And as Christians, even if we can't see it every day, we believe God has and is and will continue to bring about his deliverance. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. And so let us acknowledge together that God is our deliverer. And God sent his son, Jesus, not to kill the world, but to deliver the world through him. Paraphrasing John 3, 17. And Jesus is still drawing people out of sin. As God drew the people out of slavery, God is still drawing people out of sin. He's bringing them into his kingdom of love and light. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is the one who carries us through flood, through fire. Jesus will carry us through. And I can't explain how he will in every situation but I believe it to be true. Jesus will not miscarry us. The church choose life, choose hope, 
sow seeds of goodness and righteousness. Keep watching over your, your brothers and sisters. Keep waiting. Keep staying. Keep praying. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is good. He is our hero, our savior, our deliverer. Let's pray.